Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations about mental health. On today's episode, you heard him in episode three, come on and interview me. You've heard me mention him multiple times throughout guests on this podcast, insights that he shared. Finally, Devere Ofer makes his return to the podcast. Devere is one of my closest and oldest friends. I've known him since freshman year of high school, 11 years ago. One of my closest friends. This podcast would not exist without his expo- his friendship and his absolute support. As you'll hear on the podcast, he played an integral role in me getting this started. Devere is 25-year-old, works in private equity, and is a really, really insightful guy. And we had a really strong conversation about overarching themes of mental health and how it can affect people and lives and how perception and reality are so impacted by mental health. A lot of what we talked about is stuff that I've really been thinking about, and I hope that you guys enjoy the content as much as I did. Thank you guys so much for listening. Dear, welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited for our, our conversation. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I believe a lot of people have been waiting for you to come back on after you did such a great job in episode three interviewing me, where I asked you to help me tell my story dealing with mental health issues and anxiety. A lot of people have been wondering, where have you been? Absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed interviewing you. So I'm excited to be doing this now and sharing, uh, I guess, my experience with mental health and uh, things related to that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've been waiting. Thank God I've finally got you on. I know how busy your schedule is and with my schedule with uh, with the move right now, it's been quite tough, um, but I'm really happy to finally get you on. And, you know, one of the things, because for those who don't know, Devere and I met um, in high school. We met freshman year. And ever since then, we've been very, very close. You're one of my closest friends. And I'm really, really excited to, to talk just because of our extensive history, but also because I think what you dealt with in high school is one of the one of the more interesting stories that I never thought of from like a mental health perspective. So I'd love to talk about it now. Um, Devere, you were you went through a big physical change in high school. You want, if you don't mind filling in the audience, can you tell them about what you did in high school? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so from about freshman year to the beginning of senior year, so I guess like September, October. Um, I was definitely on the heavier side. I think at my peak, I was like 181 pounds. And, um, you know, something clicked in the beginning of senior year where I just said enough is enough. And I just decided to get really into fitness. And, uh, you know, my dad, he was um, in, in, a, in a unit in the Israeli army called Shayetet Shoshisre. And that's essentially the Israeli Navy SEALs. So... His, so he obviously had to be in top physical shape. And after that, he was in the Mossad. And, um, you know, he kept his health in check his entire life. And he actually just turned 67 about two, three weeks ago. And, like, he's 67. And he has a six-pack. He goes running every day in the park. He does pull-ups, push-ups. His health is absolutely perfect. Like, barely eats carbs, like, tons of protein, fruits and vegetables, and, like, he doesn't even like crave junk food, uh, absolutely no alcohol or things like that. So in the beginning of senior year, I told him, you know, dad, uh, do you think you could show me a thing or two? 
And, uh, you know, he brought me to the gym in our building, which made it super convenient. And, um, you know, he, he taught me how to work out. And, you know, I was, I was always into sports. You know, I was on the hockey team. I was on the soccer team. Um, so when he introduced me to, to weightlifting and fitness, I didn't necessarily look at it as a burden, maybe at first. Uh, but then I realized, you know, it's, it's kind of there, there's, a, there's a sport aspect to it. And, uh, you know, you challenge yourself just like you do in other sports and you see, uh, you know, if, if you can run another mile, uh, if you can lift more weight, if you do another rep. Um, so, you know, after probably I would say the first month of doing that with him, I just completely fell in love with it. And then he taught me about nutrition. And then probably after about like 21 days, um, I stopped craving sugar and unhealthy food and I started craving vegetables and, um, you know, by the time I knew it, it, like by, I would say January or February of senior year, I dropped from 181 pounds all the way down to 138 pounds. Um, and then like ever, ever, ever since I did that, that just completely changed the trajectory of my life. And the reason for that is because, you know, when it comes to health and fitness, uh, it's biology. So the, the harder you work in the gym and the healthier you eat, your body will change. I mean, it has to change. Right. Just biology says that, you know, if you're in a caloric deficit, uh, you will lose weight. And if you're in a caloric surplus, you will gain weight. So the harder I, I worked out and the better my diet was, the better results I saw. So after senior year, I covered this, I realized, wow, I could apply this exact same thing anything else in my life. So when I got to Israel for the year, I did even more research on diet and fitness and I started eating a ton, a ton more protein, more calories, but I was also lift, lifting heavier weight. And I built, I would probably say, I, I mean, I went up to 155 pounds. So I built 17 pounds of muscle. Um, but I took that idea of, you know, the, you know, the harder you work has, a direct correlation to your success. So when I got to college after uh, Rashid in Israel, I just said, you know, the more I study and the earlier I wake up and the more hours I put in, the better I'll do in school. So in college, I was very serious. Um, There's definitely a lot of pressure to join a frat because my brother was in a frat. But I said to myself, you know, why are you in college? Are you in college to party or are you in college to get a good job after? So I decided not to join a frat, uh, use my time wisely and just be in the library all day from Monday to Thursday night. But don't get me wrong, from Thursday night to Sunday night, I was definitely partying and having a good time. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I visited you. I visited you on the weekend uh, for, for a couple of weekends. We definitely, you know, drank a little bit, of, at least a little bit of alcohol, I would say. Yeah, just a little bit, you know, just uh, just to get very, very, very tipsy. But never drunk. Yeah, but never, never. drunk. We wouldn't, we would never. Exactly. Um, so when I was in college, you know, I, I double concentrated and I did it in three years, actually. So when I was a senior in college, um, I took 24 credits each semester just to get that done. Um, and thank God, you know, I landed uh, a great job at Ernst & Young immediately after college yeah. in a great consulting group called Real Estate Advisory, uh, graduated with a great GPA. And, you know, sometimes I think maybe I would not have been able to do that if it wasn't for my experience with, you know, losing all that weight senior year and learning that, you know, the, the more time you put into something and the more focused you are, the better results you're going to get. 
Um, so I kind of took that with me. And, you know, once you see results, it definitely be- became an addiction, you know? Oh, so um, it was the same thing uh, in college, you know, like uh, the harder I studied and the better grades I got, you know, it just became an addiction. And, you know, when the next test came along, I just wanted to study early and earlier and, and get my homework done early and earlier. And, you know, success just uh, became an addiction at that point. Um, and, you know, thank God today, I- I'm still exercising like crazy. Um, I'm still working hard on my job. And even outside my job, I'm still doing other things. Right. Um, you know, like I- I'm doing tons of research on different investments, uh, personal investments. Um, and, I'm all- and also I was taking the, the CFA exam. Um, so, you know, I would be working from, let's say, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning until like 7 p.m. at night. And then I would go work out for an hour, hour and a half, shower, eat dinner, and it would be like 10 o'clock. And then from like 10 p.m. until like 12 p.m., 12.30, uh, I mean, I guess 12 a.m., 12.30 a.m., I would just study for the CFA. Um, so, yeah, like it, it just turned me into a complete machine. And, you know, I, I just can't stop at this point. Interesting. I mean, there's a lot here I want to unpack. I mean, I've, I've also, for a lot of this, I've had, lucky enough to have had a front row seat to watch you know the discipline and i want to go back to you know that senior year moment because well i want to even go back to freshman year because to give some context to it in terms of what it was i remember when we first met i remember one of the first like bonding experiences you and i had with a couple other friends was going to uh dunkin donuts across the street from high school at like 10 30 in the morning because we had a free period and we saw they had a promotion of like three like pints of ice cream for twelve dollars and we're like oh we should just do that and then we ended up each of us ended up eating a pint of ice cream like 30, 30 minutes and just how bad nutrition and, and i think a lot of teen i also think teenagers eat really poorly right we don't learn we're going through a lot of bodily changes and even more so teenagers are uh teenagers are can be really ruthless and be very insecure and, and being overweight is definitely a point of attack that some people could have had I, i'm curious how how that played a role like you know right you had the first three years of high school where you weren't taking your health so seriously and then senior year was a big shift for you what was that like yeah I mean I, I guess those those first three years I I kind of just didn't care like I, I didn't really think it was a problem or anything and even in the beginning of I mean I guess I knew it was a problem because uh, it's something you can't really ignore but I guess I didn't really think about it that much but then like when I was a senior in the beginning of that year my brother went to Israel for the year you know you know, senior year, everyone looks back at that, that one year. And I, I actually remember in the beginning of that year, uh, my good friend, Yoshi Gadasi, like he looked at me and he's like, you know what? Like we should just start working out, you know, like think about it. Like imagine we, we're at graduation. We would be so happy that we started to get into that good habit right now. And, you know, we kind of did that. We, we We did it together. And I think that shows something too, you know, that, you know, that, that definitely helps is that if, if you're trying to make a big change in your life, no matter what it is, it definitely helps to do it with someone else. And I think that's kind of the whole idea with, you know, like when, when someone has a problem, uh, like let's say like Alcoholics Anonymous or something, you know, they, they meet other people that are trying to accomplish the same goal and they're moving together in one unit. So I think that's like another important point is that, you know, if anyone wants to accomplish something, you know, doing it completely on your own is completely tough because just you and your own mind and, you know, your mind can be your greatest strength or your biggest weakness. Um, and it could well, definitely bring you down. 
Uh, so I, I highly suggest, you know, you know, finding someone that you can confide in and move forward with that person. And that really says a lot with, you know, who you're friends with. Um, and, you know, you, you want to surround yourself around people that want to see you succeed and help you get there. And, and I know you've definitely been a huge part in that throughout my life. So I thank you for that. No, of course. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, look, I mean, you are, I'm, I think we, we agree. I, I think you're going to agree with me on this. I think at the end of the day, I've always believed this. And I think it's because of our friendship and, and a very other friendships, various friendships that I had. I believe you can tell a lot about someone, almost a lot, really a lot about somebody. If you look at who they spend their time with, who their friends are, who they advocate for, because that's who they're choosing to spend their free time with now, especially as we become young adults right at the age of 25. Now we only have split, like time has become to us a very valuable resource because of if we're working full time or just you only have 24 hours in a day. And most people sleep six to eight hours of it. If you sleep eight hours, that's a third of your day is just already gone. So now you have 16 hours in a day left just to, just to talk to people. So it can be a lot of time, but it can also be, you know, it's a limited resource of, and there's only so much effort you can really put in to maintain and cultivate relationships. So who you spend time with, I think directly impacts it. And if you can take those relationships that you already have and let's say, right, let's take fitness as the example. And you, like you said, you're talking about your relationship with a good friend of yours in high school, Yoshi, and being and doing that together and having that goal together. And I think even more importantly is that you cultivated a good space. That, like that's how you know it's a good friendship because you weren't competing with each other. You were motivating the other one. Exactly. Exactly. I definitely could, couldn't have said it any better. And you know, there's like a famous saying, it's like, um, you want to see uh, who you are? Just look at your, your five best friends and that's exactly who you are. And they say like, if you're the smartest, most motivated person in your friend group, then you Find know, friends. Then, then that's a problem. You know, they say that you should be the least motivated and the least smart in, in your friend group. And, you know, if you spend enough time with them, you're eventually going to get to their level. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you want your kid to get really good at sports, you know, you should have your kids start playing, let's say basketball with like kids a year older than him, two years older than him, because naturally he's just going to get significantly better. Uh, so I think it's the exact, exact same thing. Uh, so, yes. So since time is extremely, extremely limited, you know, you really have to watch who you're spending the most time with. Hmm. I, I, I definitely agree with the last part. I'm going to throw a little bit of a challenge flag on that on that part about, you know, you know, you only hear about that story of kids who play with kids that are older and that it worked out when you only hear the success stories. But I also think that there are a lot of times where you push kids or and I think that concept can extrapolate to a lot of other things. Um, right. Two friends pushing each other. As we were talking about with to motivate, to motivate each other. Well, what if they don't have that cultivate a good relationship and they're actually competing with the other and the other one's actually trying to doesn't want the other person to succeed because they want right. It could have been uh, you and Yoshi as the example going doing it together. But if you didn't have a strong relationship, it could be the other one didn't want the other one to succeed because they wanted to beat the other one. And then when you start competing, it can actually get really nasty. And I think that's somehow sometimes that can happen very easily with you know the other example you use of Alcoholics Anonymous of doing. When you're in it together with somebody and you have that good relationship, it works. But when you don't have that relationship or you don't have that healthy, healthy, real meaning behind what you're doing, it can end up actually backfiring completely and actually end up ruining it. And I think that happens across a lot of ideas, actually. I think that that kind of poisons a lot of relationships. Yeah, you're right. You're right. What you're saying is we only hear about the success stories and, you know, we don't hear about the times where it didn't work out. And, and 
you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's kind of like, you know, we hear about the stories of the successful startups and the people that dropped out of Harvard and started like these massive companies like, like Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, um, with Microsoft, you know, and like, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people that went to Harvard and they said that every year there's like a ton of kids that drop out of Harvard after their freshman year because they think they're the next Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. And like, ultimately we don't hear about them because they completely failed. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right about that. No, I, I just, I've, I've, I've gotten a little fed up with the, with the people trying to, I, I think for the most part, people get uncomfortable with, I think factually people are uncomfortable when they don't know, right? Anxiety, that's a big part of what anxiety is, is the fear of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going on with them. And I think that those feelings kind of manifest themselves in people when they're successful, because for a lot of people, they don't actually know why they're successful. And they go on to get right people at right. People ask them for advice. Like, how'd you do it? And they, they start saying, oh, I wake up a lot of, right, I wake up early in the morning, I meditate, I, 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 I don't know, there's a million examples that people give about why they do, and they write books, they give talks about it, and I, and I listen to them because I was, for a long time, searching for a recipe for my own success, but I kind of realized that selling it as one-size-fits-all is, logically doesn't make any sense because people are vastly different, but I also now have taken that in the next step, and I think a lot of these times, these people have no idea why they're successful. They don't, they have no freaking clue. They write books about it. They write, they give speeches on it and I leave it going. I don't think they even believe it. I just think they're, they, they don't, they don't understand it and they become very uncomfortable. And instead of saying, I don't know why I'm successful, they just say, they, they try and come up with some recipe for success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's definitely no one answer on, you know, how to be successful. And you're right. You're right. I, I don't think, I, you know, I, I don't think successful people will say that there, there's one way. I think they'll say that there, there's one thing that worked for them. And maybe that's something you should try. Uh, but definitely it comes from trial and error. You know, like, like I know for me, a lot of it came from that experience senior year and getting my, my, my uh, physical health in check, which is, you know, I, what I think is what brought me to where I am today. And I think that's going to continue to bring me to where I want to go. Um, so yeah, like there's, there's definitely no one right answer. Um, but reading, reading about uh, those people and what they did, I think it's definitely extremely helpful. And I know I definitely spend a lot of time reading about, you know, some of the, some of the business grades and uh, fitness grades and seeing what they did. And then I go and try it out on my own. Um, you know, like uh, re reading about some fitness greats, like uh, reading about some of the techniques that they use in the gym and what worked for them. Like there have been times where I would try something for a couple of months and I just wouldn't understand how it worked for someone else because like I didn't see any change in my body. But then I would try a different technique. And then within like a couple of weeks, I would see so much progress. And that just clearly shows that there are different body types and certain things work for different types of people. Like, I, I mean, like a lot of people don't know that there are three different body types. There's mesomorph, endomorph, and ectomorph. And depending on where you are on that spectrum, uh, which is pretty much like, um, uh, if it, so a mesomorph is someone that is um, naturally physically built. You know, like there's some kids that as they grow up as teenagers, like they just have six packs, they have like lean muscle mass, they have a fast metabolism, they're super athletic. Um, so for them, they they can they can eat a lot and they won't gain fat, um, but they can also easily gain muscle. That's like and that the, name. I, that's that like name the ideal mesomorph. That's mesomorph. Yeah, mesomorph. Yeah, that's I like. Just, the, I thought they were just called assholes. Yeah, that too. 
Um, but like they, they just have like completely the best genetics. Like if you look at like Mark Wahlberg, you know, like as a teenager, I mean, the guy was completely yoked. It was just so easy for him. Right. Um, right. But then there's ectomorph. And then those are people that are like tall and lanky. Right. And for them, right. um, it's very, 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 very hard for them to gain muscle because their metabolism is just so fast. So for people like them is they shouldn't be doing a lot of cardio and they need to eat as many calories as possible. And then there's endomorph and that's someone that's like can gain weight very easily so they can gain fat easily, but they can also gain muscle very easily. So for someone like that, they need to try to really watch the carb intake. They have to focus on being in a caloric deficit and they should focus more on cardio. Um, So what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you look at many fitness greats, like Franco Colombo, like this guy was an endomorph and, you know, like he trained with Arnold Schwarzenegger together and like all he had to do was like three sets of squats and he had like massive legs and Arnold hated him for that because Arnold was in between a mesomorph and ectomorph and for him to get big legs, he had to do like 20 sets of squats, which were like so brutal for him. Um, so it really depended on like what kind of body type you had. So I think it's the same thing in something like business, you know, like depending on what you do and how you do it, like there's no secret formula, you know, you should look at different people um, that were in that field and how they got to where they are and, you know, trial and error, see what works for you and see what doesn't. Right. And I think there's a real mental health component to that mindset also is it's so Imagine, right, if you're one of those body types and you're doing the wrong workout and you don't know and you're not seeing results, how easy it is to just get down on yourself to, especially for somebody who's new to the gym, right? I, I feel like you, you, you've you spoken. I know I've been, guys come to you as like a guy who's new to the gym and you've educated me on a lot, a lot of different things, but how easy it is for people to get discouraged so quickly at the gym for not getting the results. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. I mean, the, I would probably say that's like the number one formula for someone to give up on the gym with, uh, you know, I would probably say it's like impatience, you know, or if they're doing the wrong thing, uh, which just shows that it, it's so important to have a plan before you do anything, no matter what it is. Uh, you, you need to have a plan. You, you can't just wing it. And the best thing you can do is ask people that did it, you know, or read about people that did it and see and see how they, and see how they did it. Um, and try to learn as much as you can and, and try to apply those things. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people are embarrassed to ask. Um, but, you know, when someone's passionate about that certain field, they're so happy uh, to help you out. You know, like uh, Steve Jobs, he famously, when he was like, I think he was like 12 years old, 13 or 14, um, he wanted to work at HP and build these um, computer parts. I forgot exactly what the computer part was. Um, and he wanted to do it for HP. And what did he do? He got the the phone book and he found the number of the CEO of HP. And as like a 14-year-old kid, he called the CEO of HP and told him, hi, my name is Steve Jobs. I'm 14 years old. Um, I'm looking for a job this summer. And there's nothing more uh, than what I would love to do uh, but to go to your factory and build those whatever on your assembly line. And the CEO of HP uh, thought it was quite funny that a 14-year-old kid uh, called him up and said that's what he wanted to do. Um, but 
he loved it and he gave Steve Jobs that that a uh, job for that summer. So Steve Jobs says like don't be afraid to ask. So I, I've always I've always took that with me and I've never <laughs> been afraid to just call anyone up and ask them how did you do XYZ? For for example, um you know, I, I have a friend that recently bought two apartments um, on the West Coast uh, for investment purposes. And instead of renting it out to a long-term tenant, he puts it up on Airbnb. Um, and that's something that I'm interested in doing uh, with some money that I have. Um, so I literally just texted him the other day and I said, hey, I know it's been a while. Do you think you can get on a call with me? Um, I really want to ask you something that um, I heard you do. <laughs> And he said, yeah, for sure. And uh, he called me within five minutes and we spoke for about an hour and I learned so much. He sent me so many great resources and he's even connecting me to a couple of brokers uh, throughout the United States where I can even learn more. So, you know, I don't think I would have been able to learn all that if I didn't just ask and send him a text and get on the phone with him. So... As somebody who you right, you're as somebody who's doing these things was like, why do you think other people are so unable to do to get out of their own way? You know, actually, you know, ask for the help that they need. What, I mean, is, what stops us? I mean, look, the truth is that you know a lot of people don't like to say they don't know something. Um, you know, a lot of people feel embarrassed uh, to 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 ask for anything. You know, especially when they don't know someone. But I think the most important thing is you got to put your ego aside. You have to, you have to accept that you're not perfect. You have to accept that you, you really don't know it all. Um, and look, if, if you want to make it wherever you want to go, I'm sorry, but for you to just do it completely alone, it's going to take you a lot longer, um, you know, unless uh, if you don't go and, and ask people for help. Um, so I think it's that. I, I, I think it's that a lot of people have an ego – and I think the most important thing is to put that ego aside. And that's, you know, in the workplace, that's with your friends. And I would even say in a relationship also, you know, like um, in a relationship, you know, a lot of people tend to be passive aggressive, you know, like if something's bothering them in a relationship, they're not going to speak about it with their significant other. They're just going to be passive aggressive and then it's going to lead to a fight and then, Ultimately, it always comes out what, what really happened. But if you were to just put your ego aside and had a mature conversation sure. and s speak to the other person and be vulnerable and tell them what was wrong, you know, you never would have fought and it would actually make the relationship stronger. Um, so I think a lot of people don't like to feel weak or, you know, they don't like to say that they don't know something, um, you know, because some people feel embarrassed. And I know I definitely used to feel that way, but you have to train yourself, um, you know, to think differently and change that habit. Can you tell me about a time, take us back to a time where you felt that way and how, and what it was like? F felt what way? Felt the way that you weren't able to, you know, the way you're talking about it now, it seems like so clear, right? You got to talk about the relationship. In a relationship, the example you were giving was so like, so great. But you're talking about how it used to affect, how you used to not be able to do this. So I want to hear how you got from there, that point to this point. I would probably say what it was is, so I had two serious girlfriends in my life. Um, so I would probably say in my first relationship, um, I definitely had an ego. Uh, I definitely did not know how to feel vulnerable ever. Um, and it led to, and I saw that it led to all that, you know, passive aggressive stuff. 
And, you know, obviously that relationship didn't work out. And after that experience, and I was reflecting back on why the relationship didn't work, I've definitely accepted that a lot of it came because uh, I wasn't able to feel vulnerable and embarrassed with my girlfriend at the time. And I realized that that was a huge problem. And I promised myself that whenever I get that next girlfriend, I'm not going to be that same way. And then when I got a, a new girlfriend from the start, I was vulnerable. I was okay to feel embarrassed, share absolutely everything and everything, anything and everything. And, you know, it just progressed significantly. And unfortunately it didn't work out, but it's not, but you know, it wasn't a messy breakup at all. We had many long mature conversations and we mutually agreed that it's best if we go our separate ways. And I don't think we would have been able to have such an amazing breakup that way if it wasn't because from the start of that relationship, and like really from the start, we were both able to be vulnerable with each other. Um, so I, so I, I think it just comes from, it comes from experience, you know, um, the only way people can learn is from their mistakes. Um, so like, you're, look, calling like, it exper- you're calling it experience, but it sounds to me more like pain. <laughs> that, what, what, what sounds like pain? Well, you say people learn from experience. Well, the way you're making it sound like, right, it just sounds very detached where you're – I, I, I want to I know what re- – like you don't just go from one relationship to the other and say, oh, I learned my lesson about vulnerability. Like that hurt – like to break up an rela- extended period of relationship – there's pain and there's there's if you if it was like right if you really dated someone for a uh, parent you really care for them and you break up there's pain there's hurt there's stuff like you suffer you feel those emotions and then the way you're making it sound like is that like you just you oh i i did a diag- i ran a, like a robot a diagnostic test why did the relationship fail because i wasn't vulnerable enough and then so i just tweaked a little circuit board inside my body and i was now vulnerable and I don't believe that's how things work, and I don't think that's how how it happened to you. So I want to I want to hear the pain. I want to know I, I, how I you mean, got it. I mean, that's kind of how it works. I mean, l- let's think about it for a second. Let's use a different example, okay? You fall down the stairs, right? You run the diagnostic test in your head, and you say, "Oh, next time I should hold on to the railing." Feelings and emotions do not go the same way as physical as as holding onto a railing as as a physical action. There's, you know. Being vulnerable is not something you just decide to be. In my in my opinion, if you think I'm wrong, I'd love to hear how. I I, I mean, you... like, look, like, uh, look, you just gotta force yourself, you know. And I've learned to force myself to do things that I don't want to do. Like, look, like, if I could just be in shape and not have to exercise and go on these crazy long runs and do all these pull-ups and push-ups, believe me, I I, I wouldn't do it. I, I I really wouldn't do it. That that would make it would save me a bunch of time and. You know, I wouldn't wake up extremely sore or anything like that. But, you know, it, it's something that I force myself to do. You know, like I'll, I'll literally take my uh, running shoes. I'll put it um, right next to where I'm working so that all day I'm looking at those running shoes knowing, like, no matter what I'm going on that run, right when I put my laptop down after work, like, no matter what. And th- there have been times where I, I've been so, so exhausted. And all I want to do is just sleep. But like I would right. put on those sh- like I would put on those shoes and just force myself to just get to the park. And like I used to wake up at four thirty in the morning, you know, and uh, and you know work a little bit in the morning and then go to the gym and and all that stuff. And like believe me, I would love to just stay in bed and wake up at a normal time, like seven a.m., seven thirty a.m. But like 
I just force myself yeah. to just do it. So like, I, I can't explain it more than that, but you just got to force yourself. Like it comes down to like, how bad do you want it? Like whatever you want to accomplish. Like if you don't want it, like if you're not going to wake up or if you're not going to study or you're not going to work, like then you just don't want it bad enough. So like when so, you don't see results, like don't complain because you clearly well, don't I, want it bad enough. I, I agree with that in the physical extent. To be honest, I'm sitting here saying you just made my case for me because everything you're saying is, is actually, well, if you want to get the results and you want to, accomplish what you set out to do you have to do the work but doing the work there's pain right you have to deal like if vulnerability is an issue you have to do work to become less vulnerable you don't just decide say i'm going to be more vulnerable now there's actions you have to take correct i, I see i see what you're saying um i mean i mean, I, 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 I can't think back to you can't pin, certain you can't actions pinpoint that i something. took because you know because that experience happened in a relationship you know like right. there, there weren't actions i could just take and do when I wasn't in a relationship anymore, you know? And like, believe me, like I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that that was what a hundred percent was wrong in the first relation. That, that was a hypothesis. I thought that's what was wrong. So in my next relationship, I just decided to be completely vulnerable from the start. Um, and it ended up working out, you know, but you know, maybe, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a big possibility. Maybe that couldn't have worked out. And then I would have figured it out if, you know, that relationship didn't work out from the start. Right. And there seemed, I mean, it sounds like there must've been some anxiety in, in that some, at least some discomfort. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, I, I, I remember definitely being vulnerable the first couple of dates and sharing many different things about myself that like, I really just didn't want to share. And it was extremely uncomfortable, but the way I looked at it was, you know, you have nothing to lose, right? Like, you know, it, you know, if it doesn't work out and that person couldn't accept me for who I was, then like I won because then I'll ultimately be with someone that could accept me for who I was. So that was kind of the way that I looked at it. Um, I want to, I want to stay, I want to stay right there with for a second because you said something's very interesting and I think you did. I don't think, I think you don't mean it the way I, I heard it or the way you even mean to say it. You said you have nothing to lose. And I think that's the opposite because you have something to lose. There's something on the line. So being vulnerable, so you can be vulnerable. You're scared, you're nervous, but because it's important, because it's necessary, you actually do have something to lose. If you didn't have anything to lose, then it wouldn't be, then what, then what, then there's no risk. Well, what do I have to lose in that situation? If you share, I mean, sharing of something that's private about you that can be used against you. Uh, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last episode. Effie heard, um, Effie came on to talk about you know, how to be vulnerable in, in his experience with the relationship. And he's talking about when you give out information to somebody, you don't know if you're at that step, you're ready. You're giving somebody, the, especially if you're getting closer and closer, you're giving people like the in, inner ways of how you work. And you're basically giving them a sword and they can either save you or they can right with that information. They can either build towards a better place with you or they can hurt you with that information. So you are giving, there is a complete, Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So I actually remember speaking to my dad about this exactly. And I think my dad had the best answer. And all he said was, Devere, that's the risk of love. And he just said to me, like, look, if you want to fall in love and you want to have a good relationship, that's just the risk you're going to have to take. And if you're not willing to take that risk, then then maybe you're not ready to fall in love. No, I, I'm I'm 100% agreement. I just thought it was interesting that you said I felt that you felt like you had nothing to lose, and I was curious because to me it sounded like a contradictory statement. Because you're when if you're going to be vulnerable, that means you have something to you can't. I don't believe you can 
be vulnerable with, with, with a I have nothing to lose attitude. You have, it has to be something that, that, that's important to you that you, there's a reason why we don't, I don't know. Have you ever seen somebody who's too open and too honest? Have you ever experienced somebody ever in that state where they're like, you're like too much information. Like why yeah, yeah. up to me? And there's something uncomfortable. And I know when I see it, it's, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I know I've spoken with other people and it's like an uncomfortable. And I was always curious why that is. And I think the answer is because you haven't built, you haven't taken the steps to get there. It's like, if you're telling me this and we have no existing relationship, how can we actually cultivate? It just seems weird. But when you build towards something where you, that person, it seems like they have nothing to lose. And, the, and I think that's why it's uncomfortable because it, they're, they're using something that can be used to build towards a, a deep relationship, but it doesn't work if there weren't steps taken previously. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I definitely see that perspective and it's a hundred percent true. You definitely do have something to lose, but I also look at it in a different perspective and say, I have nothing to lose because, you know, ultimately if that person doesn't uh, accept me for who I am, then someone else will accept me for who I am. And then I win because I wouldn't want to be with someone that doesn't accept me for who I am. So that's the perspective that I put inside my head that can allow me to be vulnerable with saying that I have nothing to lose. Right. I de- definitely on the same page there. I, I was just curious because for me, it just, it, see, I think we got to the same place. I think we got there in two different paths, which I think is awesome. It's, it's why I love having these types of conversations because I only know what I think and I'm, and knowing, getting to know what other people think and hearing how their brains work and how they deal with their emotions and how they come to their conclusions. For me, that's like, and I'm, like I, that's, that's what I love. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I think everything in life just comes down to perspective the way you look at at anything for, for example right let's take something uh like mincha right you could either look at mincha. For, for those for those who don't know can you explain what mincha is yeah mincha is the afternoon prayer service uh that that jews pray to god uh, and it's smack in the middle of the day so you can either look at that prayer service in the middle of the day as being like wow i have to drop everything i have to do right now i have so much work and I have to leave my office or I have to, you know, drop my stuff and I have to take 20 minutes and, and pray to God and then go back and figure out what I was doing and, and whatever, right? That's one way you can look at it. Or you can look at it as, wow, I get to drop my work and take a break from my busy day and I can now talk to the creator of the universe. What a blessing that God... Uh, put mincha in our daily lives for us to be able to do that, you know? Or and you could say the same thing uh, for Shabbat, right? You could either say, wow, like, oh my God, like a whole 25 hours where I can't watch TV, I can't use my phone, I can't listen to music, uh, I can't work, I can't, you know, I, I, can't, I can't call up friends, can't do many things, right? Or you could look at it as like, wow, what a blessing. This world is so distracting with so much TV, my phone that's just buzzing 24-7 and friends calling me all the time, I have 25 hours where I can just focus on what I did this past week, the things I said uh, this past week to friends, spend time with friends in person, have real conversations, spend time with your family. So it all comes down to perspective, the way you look at things. And if you have a positive attitude and you look at the beauty in, in the things in your life, I mean – I think that also contributes to uh, to being successful too. 
you just a few thoughts just like immediately popped into my head and I want to extrapolate them and talk about them with you. First of all, I, I, I'm like, I I cannot imagine like Shabbat's like the best thing in the world for just, I don't know how people don't ever not, they don't take a break from their phone. Like they're never not on. Like when I talk, when I was in working in in an office and I was explaining to them like what the Sabbath was. And I was like, we just, they're like, Oh, you just, you can't use your phone. I was like, you're using the word can't like I make an active choice not to, but I get to not use my phone. If that makes sense. It's like, it's a privilege for me to be able to shut off electronics for, and, and to disconnect from the world and to connect with people. If I choose to right? I you can use it as a day of rest and not talk to anyone, but you get to turn off the world in a sense. You really get to disconnect from everything. And we do that once every seven days and then attack on the Jewish holidays. It's really, there's no week that we go. We never go seven days straight. And there are ways where our calendar falls out, where my personal favorites are the three day where it falls out. We get three days off. I mean, I, I personally love those because you get half a week where you're never, you're never ever in your daily life. are going to turn off your phone for that long. Like it's a disconnect. I just, for me, it's like such an interesting topic. And then there's another thing that you were talking about. You were explaining about, you know, how uh, mindset, right. You get to, the way you get you get to dot right you can either look at it as two ways oh i have to drop everything and, and pray or i get to and that's such a great distinction and then you're listing off all the things where you can add in life right i get to do all these things i get to talk to with with sabbath right i get to connect with people but i was the first thought that popped in my mind is imagine if you have all those things you, you get that and then you don't but you don't have anyone to share it with right you, you feel like you don't have the friends or you don't have the people you can talk to and how that low imagine not turning off your phone and not disconnecting and being always connected to the online presence and always one, right? When you're online, you're always one, you can basically be talking to somebody at any time with like a click of a button or send a text message. But imagine that you, you have that access, but nobody's messaging you back. That's, that's never, that never turns off because where you, ne- if you're not ever taking a break, you're never offline. Yeah. I, I mean, at, at that point, it comes down to the importance of community. I mean, I, for me, that just, I was, I was thinking about it just, for such a thing about in the mental health space, like it's easy to see how, how that can be for me. Cause I've, I've felt that way before where I've been online and I, you're right. I've, I've, my, I've I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook or on Twitter and I'm on my phone. I've access to all these contacts in my phone, right? I have, I have all these so-called people that I should be able to talk to, but I, my phone's never, uh, I'm not texting anyone and no one's texting me. And I, it, it allows you to feel so isolated and alone but you're also three steps away. You're three seconds away from, from being able to talk to somebody at the same time. It's such a crazy concept to me. Yeah. I mean, it's an, yeah, it's a very crazy concept. Uh, Yeah, definitely. When you put it that way, Uh, but but back to what you said earlier, you know, um, you know, I I went, so before senior year of high school, I wasn't keeping Shabbat also. Right. And now I keep Shabbat. So I was able to see both sides. I know you've kept Shabbat your entire life, which is amazing. Um, but personally, I saw both sides of it. And I can say that, you know, when I was, wasn't keeping Shabbat, it just felt like I was on autopilot 24-7 with no reset. Can you explain that? What that mean? What do you, what do you mean by autopilot? As in, I never had time, time? to just reflect on my past week, like what did I do this past week? Who did I speak to this past week? What did I say to those people? Do, do you do you think maybe I hurt someone this past week? Do I owe anyone an apology? You know, 
uh, or or even thinking of thinking what I did this past week and thinking about good memories that I just had and reminiscing a little bit. Um, so when I wasn't doing so when I wasn't keeping sure I didn't have any of that. It was just like, okay, what's next? You know, like what's the next refresh on Facebook? The next refresh on Snapchat? The next refresh on Instagram? Like, like what's happening now? Right. So I was only like looking forward and I wasn't looking backward anymore. And, I, you know, I think it's super important for people to reflect on their week. Um, and, you know, something that I love uh, that people do at Shabbat tables is what was the highlight of your week? Where like everyone takes a moment sitting down at the table and they all reflect in front of each other on what they did this past week. And like, what was the highlight of their week? Um, so I th- that's what I that's what I found to be the most meaningful thing about Shabbat is the reflection. Yeah, reflecting is, is such a key concept. Just thinking, just taking stock. I mean, I try and I don't, I'm not great at it, but it's something that I've started to, if for sometimes, you know, I personally try and, you know, at the end of every one of my days, like look back on the day and just take stock of everything that I did. What did I want to get done today? What didn't I get done? And if, why didn't I get, and then I try and like ask myself what, questions and investigate, like, why didn't I get what I'd done? Why, if I had set it a goal today to, to do it, why didn't I do it? Like, what was going on there? And then uh, investigate the emotions behind each decision. But a lot of times it can be like, it's just taking stock and just to do it once a week, look back on your week and just say, what happened? Why did that? And just to figure out what happened. I think it really said, if you don't look back, you can't really learn anything. You don't, you don't know what you did. You may not realize a comment that you had made to somebody and, oh, this person didn't text me back. But if you didn't stop and think about what happened that week, maybe they didn't take the text the right way or I don't know. There's just a lot there. It, it, a lot. Exactly. Like I, I like I like to say that I want to be the best version of myself. And I don't think I would be able to be the best version of myself if I didn't have time to reflect back on the things that I, that I'm currently doing in my life. Right. I mean, if you're not, because if you don't reflect back then you don't see it, you don't know it. You don't, because when you act in a mo in the moment, because everything's kind of right in the moment, you're making decisions, but you don't, if without looking back, you don't, you, you don't have the hindsight. You don't get to see the whole field or at least part of it. Exactly. That's why like for me, what I know is that Shabbat's always going to be an important, important aspect in my life forever. Bezrat Hashem. Um, just because like, I know it makes, it makes, it makes me who I am today. I mean, I know that's, I mean, I've, I've, I'm lucky. I get, I know that's true because I've, I've gotten to, I, I know you have, you've been a big part of my life for what now since 2009. So 11 years, which is crazy to think, to think back. Well, there's, there's, there's one topic that I, I'm very excited to bring up and it's something that you, I'm, I'm very thankful for because you introduced it to me at like the perfect time in my life about, I was probably around January time, uh, seek discomfort, the yes theory boys. Yeah. The yes, yes theory boys. I don't know how I, I think I was just on YouTube, just messing around watching random videos and it popped up as a recommended video. Um, and it looked cool. And I think it was one of their travel videos Uh, And I watched it and I was like, wow, there's just so much positivity in this. And their motto is seek discomfort. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, like, you know, they say that the biggest, um, 
your like your biggest weakness is if you're comfortable because if you're comfortable that means you're not striving for more so i love that theme you know seek discomfort and then i just watched like all their videos and it was just screaming positivity i felt happier and it, it made me just want to accomplish more and and i remember thinking as i'm watching it like uh oh, david is going to love this this is so right up his alley and then like i think you said you watched like all their videos like the next couple of days and then like by the time we knew it like you know we were wearing their sweatshirts <laughs> well i'll tell you this much i was sitting in my apartment i i remember when you sent you were telling me about it on a shabbat you were we, we were hanging out you were telling me about the videos and i remember reaching out to you and like asking you about it then you sent me one of their videos and I, this was january probably i think around january time and i remember i was sitting in my apartment i i i i'd gotten fired from my job a couple like a month ago or whatever it was that point you know i was really at a low point i was like feeling really low and i i I started watching their videos and i watched one then i watched the next one and and to give more clearance about who they are they're a youtube channel that's main tagline is seek discomfort it it really means just getting out of your own comfort zone and and, and challenging yourself and and facing fear but more than fear than facing that discomfort of what makes you uncomfortable and can way to connects you and they do these videos where some of them are challenges where they go travel some of their challenge biggest challenges are you know going dropping off your one person they're a group of three boys that that are best friends and they found each other in canada at college just by circumstance they just met each other and they went on this journey but one of their biggest one of their challenges that i've really loved was that they send one guy out on a in a city that they don't speak the language and with no money and no phone. And they have to rely on the kindness of strangers to get around. And they, that's one of their challenges. One another one, there's just like so many different concepts they use to expand it out. And I, I started watching one and I started watching, I think I went on to watch like four straight hours of their content and I left it feeling inspired. And, you know, at least I think it, I mean, it definitely has helped me a lot get out of that rut that I was in, but yeah, and, and through meeting those different people throughout the world as they're traveling or even, you know, in L.A. in their headquarters and the, and the different things that they do uh, over there, um, you know, they meet so many different types of people and they end up like getting to know those people on a deeper level. And they show in the videos that, you know, those people that they just met, you know, have their own vulnerabilities and their, their own things that's uh, – messed up in their life and you know when you're watching these videos it shows you that you're not alone it's normal to feel these things um you know it, it would actually be be bad if you don't feel some kind of anxiety and you're just always super positive and everything's super perfect um so what i loved about it is just the fact that you know you're not alone like everyone's dealing with something and, and you know like I, I guess when you know you're watching these videos like you realize you know you're going through your problems with, with yes theory with them too. Um, and they definitely open up themselves on things that are crazy in their lives. Um, like, uh, what, what's the, the Egyptian guy's name? Amar. Yeah. Amar, yeah, exactly. Amar. Um, like his dad, right. Apparently doesn't talk to him anymore, you know, cause he's from Egypt. Uh, his dad and his family are religious Muslims and like they watch his videos and like, they don't understand that like, you know, he's inspiring people and that, you know, he's actually making a good living doing this. Um, but, he, you know, his dad just looks at it as like, what is this mockery that like you're making out of yourself, you know, on the Internet? Like, you know, I spent money for you to go get a college education to potentially be an engineer. 
but like you're just wasting your time doing this and now like his dad doesn't talk to him and he gave him an ultimatum and he said either you quit yes theory what you're doing now uh or like i'm never going to talk to you again and he he chose yes theory which was obviously a very very hard decision for him but like you know he even made a video of him crying and talking about that decision um and that you know and that came from one of the creators something so crazy like that so it just showed me that you know like every single person is dealing with something and you know something that i remember this what you told me i I mentioned this i think on that third podcast where i interviewed you something i never forgot was uh we were in high school together and you told me devere i don't understand everyone around me in our grade seems so happy except for me but then devere i realized that's just it everyone seems so happy on the surface but it doesn't mean that they actually are you know and deep down inside you know everyone's dealing with something and like you know, looking back, you know, some of those things actually came to the surface a couple years later on, um, like, you know, some people were dealing with depression um, and all those different things that, like, you really don't know what someone's dealing with. Um, and it really just shows, like, everyone needs to be super sensitive to one another because, you know, until you walk in their shoes, you just don't know. Yeah, I'll tell you this much. I was really, I'm telling you, when I, when I turned that video on, I think I started at two o'clock in the afternoon sitting in my room in the dark. I hadn't left my apartment that day. I don't even know if I'd left and gotten like any fresh air for the past couple of days. I don't know what, whatever day it was. It's very possible. I could have gotten no sun, no direct sunlight. And I was really in a, I wasn't like, in a, like I was not in a good place at all. And I watched those videos and I think the, I'm almost positive the first thing I did after get turn like finally turning it off after four and a half hours, I'm, I know it texted you. I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe it. I was like, which one should I watch next? Like, which one should I watch next? And then I just put on my shoes and I just went outside and went for a walk and, you know, got some fresh air. And you know, you know what? The world didn't seem it. My issues that I had were real and they manifested, but my anxiety was making them to such crazy ideas and, and just going for a walk changed everything. You know, the problems didn't feel as, as it, as just, they just felt like they were so constant. And then when I went outside, they were just like, they were, they were in the back of my head, but that's where they were, right. They weren't, they didn't, they, they, they made me feel like I was immobilized and all I had to do was just get out of bed and just take that first step. And then you take, and once you take that first step, you can take the second step and you keep putting that one foot in front of the next one. And for the next 35, 40 minutes, you know, the world wasn't whatever problems I had or whatever was going on in my life. I was able to to get out of it, and from there, I really started. I think about what seek discomfort means, and it changes for me like all the time. But something that I try and remember, you know, when I get too comfortable or I feel like I'm doing too well or anything, just trying to whether it's take whether instead of taking a, a hot shower for, a, for for the whole time, you know, maybe turning on the cold water for a little bit, just getting out of your it gives you an appreciation. I'll never forget. There's I'll, I'll let you go. I'll let you keep talking and. and and reply after this, I just want to point out this this one video that really, really changed a lot about my perspective was Amar, the one we were just, we were just talking about. He felt like he was too comfortable in his life. Things were going you know, a little too well, and he was like appreciative of it. But he decided, and he lived in L.A., he decided he was going to spend, I think it was 48 hours on the streets of, of L.A. just to get out of his comfort zone. And he, he didn't have a place to sleep in. L.A. is not like the safest place in the world, man. It's like the, the way he documented and he shows it. He shows how brutal the night it was, but what he learned from it and what he challenged himself to do was just that, 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 that really changed a lot for me. Just watching somebody 
who was so comfortable and said, I, I, I don't want to be this comfortable. It's not good. And he really tried, he did it. That, that, that changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I, I want to say that I'm, I'm very proud of you um, for what you did with this podcast, because I remember uh, before you started this um, and when you were actually doing this, you were extremely nervous about it. You're extremely anxious. You did not know what people were going to think. Um, and you, you were extremely uncomfortable about it. And I even remember you asked me, you said, Vera, do you want to do this with me? You know, like in a way where I felt like, like maybe you were like a little scared to do it on your own, but you did it on your own anyways. And you seek discomfort and you, cause you, you were very uncomfortable at the start. And like now seeing the reactions that you've gotten from people and you have over a thousand views. Um, I mean, it, it, it's just amazing. Um, so I'm very proud of you, David, uh, because well, what, you, what, you're, what you're doing is very important. You know, you're, you're speaking about the things that people want to speak about, but are too afraid to speak about. And, you know, that's something that definitely needs to change, especially in this crazy world that we live in today with what's going on in our country and what's going on in the world with COVID. Um, so like, Really, David, just, just, I'm very proud of you from, from one of your best friends. Just, dude, like, you're killing it. Just keep on doing it because I know you're helping me, and I bet you're helping a bunch of other people as well. I appreciate that. Uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, F.E. Urshman actually taught me to, you know, I have a really tough time taking compliments, and it's very uncomfortable for me. Like, I'm like, when you were talking. And See, discomfort. When you were giving me credit, like I was, I'm actively shaking, like crawling in my skin right now. I'm like, it's uncomfortable for me to do it. But he, I, we were talking. He's like, dude, just take the compliment. And I was like, he was like, tall. We were talking. So I'm taking the step first. Thank you. And I want to, I guess, shed some light. I mean, I knew, I, I, I've always known that this topic was important to me and I knew that I wanted to contribute to it. I didn't think anybody would listen to me. I didn't think anybody would give a, a shit what I had to say. I didn't think anyone would want to hear my thoughts on it i just because i uh, who am i and a lot of it was just my own image of my own self and one of the best parts about this podcast has been getting over that discomfort but also one of the reasons why i wanted to do it is because i thought i know that i, I one of the reasons i went to you is because i know that if you were a part of it it would succeed i and i i i looked at my track record with things that i've tried to do in my life and doesn't mean I, I believe I'm going to be very successful in the future, and it could be with this. I, I hope it's with this podcast and whatever, however it evolves. But I looked at my track record, and I, and I knew that this topic was so important, and I want I didn't want to fuck it up. And I knew that if you were involved in the project directly with me, I I, I know that our convert the way we have conversations on the record, off the record, like they're dynamic, and people want to have those conversations and will listen to them. I didn't think people would want to listen to me, and right now, proof of concept shows that people, at least some people, want to hear hear about it i know that this topic's important i just thought i'd i i, I mean it's like been great like the biggest relief knowing that as of right now at least i'm i'm, I'm doing at least a, a decent enough job at it so that's really cool i want i want to ask you something other than this podcast how else are you seeking discomfort in your life um one of the one of the biggest ways i think it's actually attributed to my mental health is um i used to get these flashes of, of, of things that I've done in my life of uncomfortable memories. And I used to immediately shake my head and distract myself from it. Um, I'd say uh, I was doing that probably a hundred percent of the time. And I'd say I'm down to 
maybe 50%, maybe honestly, even, even better than 50% of them. Um, I sit in the discomfort. If the memory of an action that I did um, comes up, I'll sit in that discomfort for a little bit. And um, Zach Lennick, who was on episode seven, actually taught me the power of, 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 of questioning when emotions come up and feelings come up and why they make you uncomfortable. I've been investigating them and asking myself, like, why is this making me uncomfortable? Like a memory pops up. Why am I being, what, what, what is it about this memory? And I'll deconstruct it. And, and a lot of the times, you know, it, it just goes away. And it ha- and, and, and for the most part, if I've done a good job, if for the ones that I've done a real good job investigating, those, those, that discomfort and those memories or whatever those triggers were, the memory doesn't come up. And if it doesn't, it's not uncomfortable anymore. Wow. I love it. That's deep. Well, what's one thing you're doing to seek discomfort? Um, I mean, you know, I recently got out of a, a serious relationship like a couple months ago. And, you know, that was obviously extremely, extremely uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, my, so my so in my first relationship after that ended, um, you know, to cope with something like that, I was just like, I was in college, so I was just partying and drinking a lot and, and all that stuff. And it just made things worse and worse and worse. It made me get extremely, extremely anxious and all those things. So this time around, you know, I told myself, um, you know, like, like that didn't work. Do not do that. Uh, what you need to do is just be the best version of yourself. And, you know, some of those things may be extremely, extremely uncomfortable uh you know you know you know when when you're dealing with a a breakup let's say like a lot of times you just want to be in bed all day or you don't want to see anyone and you don't want to exercise and you just want to eat unhealthy you just want to just like you know mope around you know but i but i promised myself right when that ended like i'm not going to do that again like there's absolutely no way and i'm seeking discomfort by just being the best version of myself and like to me, what that is, is literally like when I wake up in the morning, like sometimes I wouldn't make my bed, you know, um, I'll just be like, whatever, like, I'm just going to get back into it later. And like, when I get back from work, or when I'm done with work, so like, why do I even have to make it? But like, I would like 100% make my bed, like, uh, when I'd be done with uh, dinner, for example, I'll be like, Oh, man, I'm so tired. Like, I just want to shower and go to sleep. Like, I'll, I'll just wash it in the morning, you know, but like, now I'm just like, No, like, when I'm done with dinner, I'm going to the sink, I'm washing it, drying it, and I'm and then I'm going to bed. Uh, in terms of my apartment being clean, like, I'm cleaning it every single day, and it's always going to be spotless. Instead of, like, I, like, sometimes I used to just skip workouts, right? Instead of just skipping, like, I'm just forcing myself to just go and do it. And uh, sometimes I would buy some unhealthy food just in case I was in the mood. Like, no, now I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, many times I would just... Um, you know, skip um, uh, praying Mincha and Mariv or sometimes even filling in the morning because I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. But like now, like, no, like, so I'm seeking discomfort by just being the best version of myself in as many aspects in my life as possible. And like now that it's been a couple of months of just consistently doing it, like, it's just part of my life now, you know? Like, do you think about that you have to brush your teeth when you wake up? Like, no, it's just something you do now, Right. So I guess like by seeking that kind of that discomfort, it just gave me the the habits now that just making me happier. 
because I feel because everything that I'm doing now is just making me feel like my life is just where I've always wanted it to be. So since seems I mean it seems like you kind of like post breakup have been doing like seems like you've just turned all that whatever negative energy could be into positive. Have was it easy to get? Was there a part of it where you were struggling? Like, or is there a part where you were where did it? What, what it sounds? I mean, it just sounds like you're doing like great after it. But there, I, I have to assume that there's a part where you were struggling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd probably say the first four weeks, I was like extremely anxious all the time. You know, like imagine having a twenty four seven conversation with someone for like a couple of years and then one day it just ends, you know, it's not easy. So like, of course, like I would probably say the first four weeks, maybe even like six weeks, like I was just extremely, extremely anxious and things like that. Um, and yeah, it definitely wasn't easy, but you know, I promised myself, I, I, I just wasn't going to go back to the way I handled a breakup. Like I did that first time around that, you know, I, I just stayed, I just stayed focused. And like, obviously there were times where like, it was so hard for me to stay focused. And like, the first thing I did was I called up a couple of friends and I felt vulnerable. I mean, I know I called you. I know I called my brother a bunch of times. I know I called my mom. I know I called uh, Lavion a bunch of times. Um, a couple other friends too. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it definitely wasn't easy, but I mean, once I, I- yeah, I, I've been privileged to be like your good friend. You came to me both times when when with the first girlfriend and you guys broke broke up in this breakup. There's a night and day difference between how you acted. I mean, we spent I think we were on the phone for an hour this time, and I'm not going to disclose the personal stuff that we shared, but I will say that um, I think 30 minutes into our conversation, I literally said to you, "I'm like, you're gonna." I was he's I was like, "You're gonna be okay." And, I think I—I I mean, I knew you were going to be okay, and you weren't as sold as I was because of the way you were talking about relationship. You were speaking in a healthy way, and I think you're going to—you at that point, you start a lot to process. And I said you're going to process it, and you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel event. And you were—you one of your biggest concerns was about what, what about what happens when 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 you were dealing with those feelings. And I told, I mean, I knew you were going to be able be able to handle them, and I, I think you'll still have. I just know you and I know that the way you were talking, the words you were using and the sentence structure that you were going to be able to handle it. And I remember the other time that broke up, we were, I think, 21, 22. And I think the first thing I, you called me up and the way you were talking, I was like, this is the first thing I needed to do. It was like, I'm, I got in the subway. I was like, do I need to break? Do I need to stop the liquor store and get a bottle of whiskey? We, is this like one of those times? And then this time was like, I knew that was not like even an option like that's not what was going to happen either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for those that are listening, I wasn't an alcoholic or anything. You know? I don't no, know. No, you were never. Not. I don't know that, if you had to get a bottle of whiskey, but I know you no, uh, Listen, <laughs> people who, your friends and my friends and people who know you that are listening know that you handle your alcohol very, very well. When you get, like, you don't really get drunk. You get very, 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 very tipsy. Um, you're, when you get, when you drink, you, you handle it very well. We all, like, every one of your friends right now that's listening to it that know you are all nodding ahead and, I know that I'm not being sarcastic. All right, great, perfect. Just, Even, just to clear that up, just just to cl- just to clarify. So there's as you know, as we're getting to this part of the conversation, there's a couple. To- there's a topic that I was going to open the floor to you. If there's anything you wanted to bring up, um, if you had anything specific in mind that you wanted to talk about, just about mental health and what's going on um, in the world. If not, I have a topic I'd be happy to bring up. 
Um, one thing that I would like to say is just like, um, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backward and you have to trust that one day the dots will connect. And, and, and that comes straight from Steve Jobs from his uh, Stanford University uh, commencement speech. I highly recommend everyone to YouTube that and, and take a listen to that. Um, but, but it's absolutely true. You know, a, a lot of points, and I always took that with me. There, there were points in my life where, like, I didn't understand why I was in a certain situation. And, it, and only a couple of months or years later, I saw why it was such a blessing I was in that situation. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been where I am today. And now when I deal with something that like I'm upset about, that's exactly what I say to myself. So I'll, I'll give you an example of like the first time I realized this. So when I was a senior in, in SAR, um, I wanted to go to Yeshiva. My parents wanted me to go to Bar Ilan. They're like, go take the college credits. Like, come on, like, really? Like, you're going to make us waste our money on yeshiva where you're just going to, like, l- like, learn Torah for a year? Like, and then what? You know, like, how is that going to help you with your future? You know, like, they didn't understand it. And I told them, like, but they, they were very supportive and they ultimately, ultimately allowed me to go to yeshiva. But they, they even, they actually lied to me at a point where, like, they said, Barilan is, is uh, a certain amount of money and yeshiva is twice as much and they made me believe that you know you know when making my decision so that i wouldn't go to yeshiva until i i went to noam's house for shabbat with you and i mentioned that at the table and noam's mom was like what the heck are you talking about like and she said the price of yeshiva and it was the same exact as barilan and i was like oh my god you gotta be kidding me and then i go home i confront my parents and like they admit that they lied to me and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. But anyways, they ultimately uh, allowed me to go to Yeshiva. And when I was in Yeshiva, um, I discovered that Binghamton actually takes a full year of credit um, from Rashid, the Yeshiva I went to. Uh, so I said, wow, this is perfect. Um, that means if I go to Binghamton, uh, it would be like equivalent if I went to Bar Ilan and went to another university. And that's exactly why I ended up in Binghamton because – um, I was able to get that full year of credit. So I told my parents, like, you see, you were so upset about, like, me going to Yeshiva because I wasn't going to get a full year of credit. But now, but now look at me. I got into a great university. They take the full year of credit, and I ended up with a great job. So, like, I was able to get we, – we were all able to be happy. But at the time, we weren't able to connect the dots when, you know, I was a senior in SAR. We were only able to connect the dots looking back. Uh, so – I always took that with me. And then recently when I was at Ernst & Young, uh, I wanted to leave. I wasn't so happy. Uh, consulting had so much traveling. It was absolutely killing me, the, the, the traveling. And, you know, you're eating at restaurants from Monday to Thursday. And, like, it's just gross eating restaurant food 24-7. Um, it makes you feel like complete crap. You don't know what they're putting in. Uh, and I really wanted to leave. And I remember I got an interview at a bank. And I was like, wow, that's great. Like, uh, uh, it's exactly what I want to do. Didn't get the job. So instead of being like, oh, my God, why didn't I get the job? I just said to myself, wow, that just means that there's something better lined up. As in, like, you know, like, God is going to connect the dots for me. Like, I know he's going to. I don't realize it now, but, like, I'm going to see it in the future. So because I got rejected from this bank, there's just going to be something better. And then I got an interview at a, a private equity firm, not the one that I'm at now, a different one that I was very into. 
And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's exactly how God is going to connect the dots. Uh, didn't get that job. And instead of being upset about it, I was, like, shocked. I was like, like, what? There's something better than that firm? Like, wow, Hashem, like, wow, you're getting me so excited. This is insane. Um, and, then I, and then I landed two offers from two different private equity firms. And then uh, I chose this one where I'm at now. And I couldn't be more happier. Uh, I love the people I work with. Um, I, I, I love everything about the job, the things that I'm doing, my daily tasks. Um, and, like, it all worked out. So, you know, now I'm able to connect the dots. Um, and even before, like, because I had that experience senior year, I just knew that the dots will connect. Uh, so that's just so, a little piece of advice I, I would just give to everyone is that, you know, if there's something that you're struggling with right now or there's something you're upset about, like, believe me, like, the dots will connect. You just don't know it yet. Like, like with you, for example, like you said that um, you got laid off from your job, unfortunately, um, and, like, I'm sure you were super upset about it. But let me ask you something. Do you think you would have started this podcast if it wasn't for that? I mean, who knows, right? Maybe you would have anyways. I don't know. But, like, imagine that storyline where you got laid off and, you know, like, you had all the time in the world. You were thinking about what you're super passionate about, which was speaking about mental health. And you started this podcast and you went from one listener to 10 to 100. Now you're at 1,000. And, like, who knows how long until you get to 10,000 Bezrat Hashem. And then, you know, 50,000 Bezrat Hashem, 100,000 Bezrat Hashem, and then a million 10 million, a hundred million, a billion. And then you're the next Joe Rogan. And you know, now you're selling your podcast to Spotify for $200 million. And then you'll be like, Oh, okay. I see how the dots connected over there. Yeah. I mean, listen, if, listen, I can't be bought, but if Spotify throws on the fuck you money, I don't know if I'd say no, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I no, it's a really good point about connecting the dots. The truth of the matter is um, a lot. Of, I think it, a lot, a lot of what you just said, thoughts are popping my head. It connects full circle to a lot of the main things that we talked about. You know, when you're talking about ego is when you're connecting the dots, you have to, you have to do the work also. Right. I, I feel like right when you're starting this credit, like you put in all that hard work, right. You grinded in college. I remember talking, listen, speak on the phone. And it was especially in finals week texting. I was like, are you just like, I knew you couldn't jump on a phone call at the call. And but I would just like text you, like just you live, like you good. And, like, you'd be like, yeah, dude, like just got off an 11 hour, like library session. Like you grinded when you got to work, right. You grinded at Ernst and young, you, you did the work. Right. And then you were happy because you did the work you were able to put yourself in a, in a position to succeed. And now you're at this place and you're killing it. You're killing it. And, and, you know, I will relate it back. Right. Uh, to truth be told that job that I got fired for, I knew I was going to get like, it, I, I didn't, I wasn't like, I was upset. I don't like getting fired because I don't like failing, but I, I, I knew recruiting was not a good profession for me. And truth be told, if I, if I didn't get fired, who knows if I didn't start this podcast. And I don't know where this po- truth be told. I have no idea where this podcast is going. All I know is that I love to do it. It's like makes it's it's the best thing I do all like all week. All I, it's all it's really for the most part majority of what I think about. It's I eat, sleep, and breathe this type of content. I'm trying to figure out how to. I'm studying. I'm trying to get better as a as a podcast host. Trying to get more people on. Figuring out ways to grow it strategically, but slowly and at the right pace. But I, I don't I don't know. I, truth be told, I have no idea where what how any of it works. All I know is that if I check my ego in the moment allowed myself to put in the work and do it i'm not gonna i don't need to go and figure out how everything's going to connect perfectly today because how how egotistic how 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 crazy is that where i you think that i can predict every all the the future today 
why, why would I ever like, – to me, that's such a crazy concept. Imagine sitting here thinking that I can predict all the future. Like, every time I try and predict the future, I'm right, like, one out of every, like, 100 times. But, like, I'm now I have this false confidence that I can predict the future, and my anxiety builds it. And I'm going to listen to my anxiety that tells me, no, you can My anxiety is wrong also. Once you realize that that anxiety, that voice inside your head that tells you you're not good enough and you can't do this and you can't do that. And everyone always remembers the times where it paralyzes you. But remember that time where you said, fuck you do it. And you got out of bed and you walked. You went around and you went and go did something. Remember the times where it was wrong too. Because if you put on the scoreboard, your anxiety, that voice inside your head, those failures, they're a lot lower than the the successes. They're just not as loud. That voice is not as loud unless you make, unless you, unless you remember it. And you and you amplify it. Well, well, David, I I actually don't think you you have to connect the dots anymore because it sounds like you already won. You know, when, when you said like this is all you think about and you're doing what you love and what you're passionate about. I mean, come on, that's everything, you know. So like the fact that this led led you to doing something that you're truly passionate about and something that you absolutely love to do. I mean, like you already won. Yeah, right, right now. But I still have a lot of concerns, a lot of worries about it. Right, right now. I mean, I still got to make money. I'm 25. Do I want to? Right. Do I? I got to worry about dating, especially in our world. Like, like not like right now. I'm not making enough money to support. Like, if I want to get like date, like, is like I worry about like the reputation of doing it. Like, oh, like are people. For me, it's just there's a lot there. But I'm also like, I don't know. Some of it's noise, and some of it I think is credible. So you know, I, I listen. I'm never, I can't, I, I can't ever succeed at doing something I don't like to do. I don't at least like to do, let alone love. So to find something that I really love in doing this, there's something there. I, I don't, like I said, this podcast, I'm going to keep churning out episodes. I love to do it as me, whoever wants to come on. I'm open to talking to, I, I want to keep producing this content. I want to know what, how to get better. I don't know how this evolves, but I know that I've started something that I, that I, I, I can't see. I can't see what the final product turns into, but I know it's going to be a hell of a ride. And I'm, I'm here, I'm here to take it. And I'm happy. I was there from the beginning to watch it, you know? Well, yeah, the podcast doesn't step this podcast. I mean, I say this all the time, but this podcast does not happen without you. Right. Think about it. All the conversations we've had, this podcast was an iteration of all these conversations I've been having my entire life. We talked about mental, we've been talking about mental health for, for, for 11 years now from the beginning of our friendship about what was going on. We were able to have those conversations. We just didn't realize that they were mental health conversations. We didn't know. That's, that's hundred percent true. And now that and you I, mention it, like looking back, you know, you're, you're, you're really absolutely right. Uh, listen, we're really lucky, man. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how lucky I was that I was, I always thought I was the worst, man. I thought I was, I didn't think I, I was thought found myself to be really unlikable, but I found, but I knew that I was surrounding myself here and there with really great friends. And I, and I, and I also believed there was like a cognitive dissonance where I had this belief where, you know, I was thinking I'm, I thought I was like this big piece of shit. Like I hated myself a lot, but I knew that my friends were like the best people in the world. And if they're, and I was like, if people, and, and I knew this fact, right. That people spend their time with good people, but, and if that's, if that, if that can be true, then I should believe that if I'm, if I believe my friends are really good people and they love me and they're choosing to spend their time with me, I'm not a charity case to them or I'm not, they're not doing it out of the kind, like they're doing it because they want to spend out. That's that should say something about me. And I've kind of realized that I've started to realize that over the last like recent bit in my life, like last few years, last couple, maybe more so in the last like six to 12 months, 
So like that's been like something that I've always struggled with that I've you know been able to overcome. But it's like a very strange concept. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, I I know I'm looking forward for you to moving back to the city on Wednesday. Um, I know I, yeah. I know I've been lonely. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I, that's what I wanted to. That was a topic I wanted to talk about, dude. I don't know how you've been able to. I want to talk about the mental fortitude that you have and shine light. You live in a small one studio apartment, one bedroom during COVID by yourself. Just how have you dealt with the self-isolation? I know I could deal with it because that's what I've done to myself my entire life. But I don't know how you hand. How do you do that? Um, I love it. I love it, man. Um, I mean, you know, living, living alone it just gives you significantly, significantly more time to do the things that you love that make you happy. Like in college, I lived in a house with four of my best friends, which means that there's always someone doing something like from like 7 a.m. until like 5 a.m. probably, you know, whether it's video games or watching a movie or watching a TV show or chugging a beer or playing beer pong. Um, or making food, like, I don't know, there's always just something, like, there's always just some kind of distraction that's just telling you, like, oh, like, are you sure you want to read that textbook, or you sure you want to progress in whatever you want to progress in, like, you could just go and just screw around for a bit, which is completely fine, but, you know, it's distractions in general, but, you know, living living here alone, it just gave me more time to do, to do the things that just make me happy, so... You know, I'm just reading the books that I, I love to read. I'm watching the movies that I love to watch. Um, you know, I get to exercise whenever I want without, you know, getting distracted with someone saying like, no, nah, don't go and exercise. Like, come on, play some Madden with me or something, some video game. Um, so, like, that's what I love about it. It's just like I have me time all the time and I can just spend it doing the things that I love. So I, I just became happier. It's, I mean, I, I... It's like incredible to you because I'll tell you this much. What sounds like you're like happy, like it's been really happy for you, and I'm so happy for you. But there are a lot of people out there that that's like their worst nightmare. Oh, of course, of course. Like I, I, I remember actually. Like I remember before I moved here. Actually, I thought to myself, like, you know, am I gonna be okay living alone? You know, am I gonna like it? Am I gonna hate it? Like I'm not so sure. And I had a couple conversations with people. And there were some people that said, like, nah, don't worry, you're going to be fine, you're going to love it, I know you. And I've had conversations with people that said, I don't know if you're going to love it, like, I know me personally, I can't live alone, you know, it would just make me depressed and I would just be extremely sad or something, you know. So, like, obviously, I, there was a lot of anxiety before, but then I would probably say after the first week, I was like, this is the best thing in the world. And, <laughs> and like, now I don't even know if I could ever go back to living with with other people like if i'm being completely honest and if i were to ever ever do that it would be like with one other person and i would have to be like super super picky who that other person is also yeah no i mean i i hear it listen i especially with covid everything going on i mean there's got to have been a time where it got tough being like, like living alone especially with people it's it wasn't so easy just to see people i mean I've seen you in person, like, what, twice since the last six months? Yeah. Um, yeah, but you also have to remember, though, like, yes, I live alone, but my dad lives two blocks away. My mom lives, like, six blocks away, and my brother was living with my mom. So, like, 
you know, I, I was seeing them whenever I wanted to see them anyways. So every Shabbat, right. I was seeing everyone. Um, and I was going on walks with my dad almost every single day, hanging out with him. So, like, it's not like I was, like, far from my family whatsoever. I don't think I would have lived alone and stayed to live alone if I lived far from my family. Like, for example, like, if someone's family lived in, like, Englewood, where you're from, and you, like, had a studio in the city, like, I could see that being significantly more difficult because, like, I, like, I can't imagine you just having to, like, I don't know, cook every Shabbat meal by yourself, do Kiddush by yourself, Hamotzi by yourself, and, like, you know, for every single Shabbat, like, I, that I cannot imagine. I'll um, tell you this much. I did that in Englewood with nobody around when I'd have the house to myself for Shabbat, like, between the ages of, like, 21, 20 to, like, 22, 23, probably, for the most part. Those were some of the best Shabbases and also some of the worst Shabbases of my entire life where I would have a great time being by myself. But there were incredible moments of incredible pains of, like, just loneliness and misery. But I also loved being alone. But, like, let's say, like, 10% of the time it was, like, of, the, of each weekend could, be, could have both, right? The highs of the highs of just loving being by myself. But incredible pains of, like, sadness and, like, real hurt. Like, real pain. But... I know, it's interesting, man. I'm coming back to the city on Wednesday. We just sold the house, packing up. We've been packing up all last week and this week. It's been, like, it's been, it's been real. Like, I don't know. I'm not that sentimental about this place. I never came back. I really never came back when I lived in the city when I moved in the September. And my dad lives, has an apartment. Like, his wife, when he got remarried, she kept their apartment in the city. Like, they live four blocks away from me. I'll see them all the time. I have friends there. I'm just looking like I'm. Re- I was ready. I moved out. I was ready to take the next step in my life. I'm super excited to take to like get back to it. I don't know what the city is going to be like with COVID, but I don't know. I'm not. I'll deal with it when like you know deal with it as it comes. I'm sure it'll have it. Yeah. Nice and regardless but, what the city is going to be like, I can promise you, I'm always going to be here. You know, right. like I live here. My parents live here. Like yeah. If I go back home, good. still in the city. Um, so like, look, like, you know, I'm excited for it because, um, you know, I, I, I will always make time for my best friends and, uh, especially you. And I'm just so excited. You know, like you said, we've only seen each other like twice in the last six months. And one of those times was this past Shabbat because I was in Inglewood for my older brother, Sheva Brachot, uh, Mazal Tov, Dean Ofer and Jessica Ofer, uh, (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, um, it's, you know, we, we have a lot of, uh, hanging out we need to do that we haven't been doing because of COVID. Yeah. No, also, I mean, big miles of talk to you, to, to Dean and Jessica. It's always nice. Listen, it's always nice to hear about people getting married, especially in these crazy times. It's also great to hear when two like genuinely good people find each other and get married. It's like restores my faith in, in the institution. It's like, it's just just a good story, man. It puts a smile on my face to hear, when I, when, like just to hear it. It's just a good stuff. Yeah, oh, me too. And and, and especially those two. What I love about them the most is that um, they were best friends for like a year before they even started dating. So what I love about their relationship is that like when they look at each other and when they interact, you know, it's not an interaction of oh, this is my husband, this is my wife, or this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend. And like, it, it's always been like, no, nah, this is like my best friend. Like, we laugh and joke 24-7, and we just both put big smiles on each other's faces. And like, I'll die for her, she'll die for me, and like, we're one and the same. So like, 
I love them. I think I really thank Hashem so much every single day for bringing those two together. Um, and yeah, like really a lot to be thankful for. All right, Javier. Final cla- final thing is platforms yours. Last remarks, final message. What do you want people to know about if they're dealing with mental health or really anything in general? What do you want? What do you want to say? Buy Bitcoin, short the bankers. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. You're going to come back on the future. We'll talk about Bitcoin then and the mental health related stress that goes on with investing. But that's we'll do part two another time. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll do part two. Leave a comment uh, if you want to hear part two on that. Uh, I could give you my experience with investing in the depths of the Bitcoin bear market. But uh, I want to see some comments. 1,000%. And by the way, for everyone listening, you guys have heard Devere be mentioned. He's been on the podcast before. He's interviewed me in episode three. He's been mentioned in various episodes. This is him, man. He's the best. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him. Devere, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks again, David. Goodbye. Thank you to Devere Ofer for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciated your ability to open up and to share key insights and how you've dealt with mental health in your life and how it's impacted relationships. If anybody out there is interested in coming onto the podcast, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me through my Facebook, through email, I'll put in the description below. And if you know anybody that knows me, they'll give you my phone number and information. Reach out. I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're not interested in talking about mental health, but you're not comfortable coming onto the podcast, you, if you're interested, reach out to me as well. I'd love to talk to you off the record, of course. All things are confidential. I really, really, really appreciate anybody out there who's listening. If you're enjoying, please let me know. If there's something that you don't like, let me know. Topics you want covered, happy to to talk about them. Just trying to get better every every week. If you could please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, that would be great. Share it with one person in your life that you think could benefit from this kind of content and would be interested in, that would be great too. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you next week.